Hi, everybody. Welcome to Mormonish. I'm Rebecca. And I'm Landon. And we have another wonderful guest here with us today. We have Dr. Randy Bell. How are you tonight? Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Landon. It's great to be with you. Yeah, oh, we're well. so happy to have Randy with us tonight. We've had Randy on before um, to talk about his amazing book, Post-Traumatic Thriving. We had a whole book club episode on this, and then we repurposed it for Mormonish because it's so important. Um, so I debated reading his bio, but I thought, Randy's so amazing, I'm going to read it again. Because if you don't know him, you should, and the amazing things that he's involved in. Um, so bear with us, everybody. Here we go. And this is, I'm just taking it right out of the back of his book. So uh, Randall Bell, PhD, is a sociologist and economist who specializes in disaster recovery projects. No stranger to how harsh the world is, Dr. Bell has considered Consulted in more tragedies around the world than anyone. He was retained for the World Trade Center, Flight 93, Sandy Hook, BP oil spill, Hurricane Katrina, and Bikini Atoll nuclear test sites, the Northridge earthquake, OJ Simpson, John Benet Ramsey, Heaven's Gate, and hundreds of other cases. He has been retained by the federal government of the United States, Canada, and Australia to help resolve numerous crises, and his work has generated billions of dollars to rebuild damaged communities. Dr. Bell's investigations have taken him to 50 states, seven continents. Having met with countless victims, he's earned the nickname of Master of Disaster. In every case, Dr. Bell observed the emotional consequences and how some fared better than others. He was inspired to put his unique research skills to work and study the cycle of trauma. Hence this book, which we can't recommend more, although tonight's episode is not about this book. Everybody picked this up anyway, right, Landon? <laughs> That's right. We've done another episode uh, with yep. with Randy on the book. Yep. And uh, yep. whenever I think of Randy, I always think of that commercial, you know, where that guy mayhem and he's always oh. blowing things up and stuff. <laughs> and then it's like Randy comes in after and cleans up after yes. mayhem. <laughs> That's right. He's he master handled. mayhem. You're master. Uh, <laughs> master of disaster. solving disasters. That's right. Oh, that's right. Well, you know, we talked to Randy off and on because he's always involved in so many interesting projects um, coming to mind. His book, of course, and then his work with Dartmouth in the early days of the church. And that is just fascinating. There are multiple podcasts on that, I think, on John DeLynn and, and Mormonism Live. So check those out if you haven't, because that's that's good, pivotal stuff. And we might invite probably will invite Randy back on to talk about that here too. But tonight we thought we would talk about something a little more timely. Um, there was a conference that was held in Salt Lake. Is it two weeks ago now? Is, is my time frame yeah, right? I think right. it was two weeks ago now. Yeah. And, and it's called Restore a Faith Matters Gathering. And it was, it was extremely well attended by faithful and I would say nuanced Latter-day Saints, like over 3,500 people there. Well, Randy was one of our friends that was actually there on the ground. And a lot of us um, in the post-Mormon community have kind of been talking about that and how interesting the phenomenon of this, you know, Faith Matters gathering was and and what it might mean going forward. So we thought, let's have Randy on. Let's get some firsthand information about this very interesting gathering that took place. So what can you tell us, Randy? I feel like I have a microphone. What can you tell us, Randy, from the ground? <laughs> Well, I didn't know what I was getting into. I first, I, I knew nothing about it uh, whatsoever. And then John DeLynn told me about it. He said, you know, let's all go and get tickets. And uh, so I, I happened to have been up in Park City and I said, yeah. So I got a ticket and went there. <laughs> Excuse me. I thought it was going to be like uh, like uh, a discussion, a panel or panels talking about the tough issues you know, within the church and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And it was completely different than what I imagined. I'll just tell you 
Rebecca and Landon, the first impression I had when I walked in the door, it was a huge event, thousands of people. I was really overwhelmed with the attendance, but I felt like I was walking into a mega church. There were gospel singers singing, people with their hands in the air, the, the violet and the blue lights and strobe lights and all the lighting going on with the music. And it felt like a mega church. And I thought, you know, maybe I walked into the wrong place, but but there I was at Restore, and uh, that's kind of how, how it kicked off. And, and this wow. wasn't a cheap ticket, right? I don't, I forget. I think it was like 150 bucks or something. Yeah, I think it was 200 250, yeah. I think. Yeah, was, although yeah. they did offer scholarships if you couldn't afford it. Let's go to our next slide. We can kind of show the ambiance a little bit. And then the next one, I think, has the, the purpose mission statement of the conference. Yeah, there's wonderful Renee from She Became Visible. But look at that. Yeah, look at that. Exactly what you said. Screens on the side. You've got the gospel choir. You've got thousands of people. You've got that praising ambiance i've seen some videos where you know just i can see why you thought you were in a, a different place yeah because here it says and i pulled this off of their website our goal is to provide a powerful widely engaging platform for exploring ideas practices and initiatives that provide deeper engagement with our faith and our world all who are involved with the faith matters share a deep commitment to the restored gospel tradition and a profound desire to see it thrive and remain vital and relevant to rising generations. So it is a faithful event. But yeah, it was very, it, it, they made cl clear while they were going in all kinds of interesting ways with lots of talks of, of Jesus, uh, the, the mega th uh, church theme, uh, you know, Buddhism, you know, all kinds of different vibes going off throughout the show, if you will, for two days. They made sure they stayed on the rails of being, you know, faithful to the church. Now, Randy, you, you're you a Christian. You're a former LDS and now Christian. Is, yeah. Is that correct? Did, yeah. Did this fit in with, were you, are you evangelical Christian? Are you, and did this fit in with your current, uh, did you feel very much Christian? Did you feel Mormon? What, what was your... <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not an evangelical Christian, although I have a lot of friends who are. I, I don't even know how to describe myself. I kind of do my own thing. But the week before, <clears throat> I was in Las Vegas, and I was at a mega church, uh, for real. And I, I can't, I'm not making this up. When I walked in here, it had that and the one I that I attended with a friend was an evangelical church, mega church, and this was identical. Well, at least when you walk in the door, and the introductory vibe was was evangelical uh, mega church Christianity. Wow. Yeah. The pictures I saw in the video that I saw said that exactly. Um, and in fact, it's interesting um, when my husband and I were sort of stepping away from Mormonism, still attending church, but then kind of exploring other things. We did go to some mega churches and some other kinds of churches with exactly this look and feel, right? The music is incredible. You know, the lyrics are right there on the screen always and really interesting sermons. And in fact, that Deborah Bonner Unity Gospel Choir, my husband has sung in that for years and I even sang in it for a few years. So really positive experience. They're an LDS choir, but they definitely, you know, have the, the gospel feel and and the spin to it. So, and, and I had the thought when I saw videos of this and I saw the people being so excited about it, like you could tell the audience was just super energized and praising. And I thought, I bet most of them have never been to a mega church or any kind of other church. I bet they have no idea that this is what the rest of Christianity has been doing for decades. You know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, <clears throat> you know, as a Christian, I kind of wander 
you know, uh, like Bigfoot, I just kind of wander around aimlessly. <laughs> um, and the, the week before that, I was at Park City Community Church, which is a completely different deal. It's a, it's more, it's more Methodist based, you know, so I, I like different, you know, versions. I, I, I like or dislike, you know, different things like anybody has their taste. But this, this had a very striking evangelical mega church thing. In fact, <clears throat> I sat there wondering how long is it going to take before something that's distinctive to the Mormon church even comes up? Because the way they were talking and doing their thing, um, it, 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 it was the furthest thing from my mind. I think any reasonable person would think had this had anything to do with Mormonism for a long time until they started bringing that topic up later on. Hmm. So who, th th this was not sponsored by the church, right? Uh, right. It's by the Faith Matters group, or who who puts this together? Yeah, I, I'm kind of trying to figure that out myself. I, I'm told my it turned out my brother attended with his wife and their TBM, and uh, but in the back there were uh, uh, you know Alan and Katie Mount were there with their uh, tightrope podcast, the Marriage on a Tightrope, but there were also LGBT uh, groups, um, a couple of them, I think. There were signature books, benchmark books, and and let's face it, that not all their stuff is you know raw raw Mormon. Yeah. Um, but there was a variety of kind of if you will edgy uh, groups there. But as a whole, it stayed on the tracks. It, it's yeah. interesting because we recently saw uh, some apostles show up to uh, several of the books. Book of Mormon Central had an apostle come in at a paid event for dinner. Uh, Elder Bednar just showed up. What what was the one that he went to, Rebecca? Uh, oh, it, it Silicon was a business Slopes. leader one. Silicon Slopes conference, yeah. Y yeah, Silicon Slopes conference. Did any apostles show up through this, or did you get any <laughs> indication that there was church leadership uh, behind this or testing it or looking at it? I didn't see anything like that. I mean, there were a lot of people. I don't pretend I saw everyone or frankly would have even recognized them. But, you know, when you go to Thrive, there I mean, it's no secret there are spies there. Um, whether they were here or not, I don't I don't I have no I have no idea. But they weren't openly promoting this or they didn't right. come as a speaker. There was no church authority who spoke, even though Steve a lot Young of the people there. that were there. Yeah. Are... <laughs> In fact, go to the next slide. I think we have a picture of different people that spoke. And it is it's the brainchild of um, Nick and Aubrey Chavez. And um, my husband and I have known them, um, my husband better than I. But, you know, for, my husband has been involved in this group for several years and have seen it, you know, the trajectory of it has just been incredible. It started out small with little more intimate gatherings and smaller spaces, and then has just taken, taken off. Last year, my husband attended because he was singing with the choir and it was pretty big then, but this year, I think it's kind of launched into the stratosphere, but, but again, it's, it's, you know, it seems to be for faithful people who perhaps have things that are making them a little uncomfortable at church, or they're not feeling the community they need. Maybe they have some questions about some of the doctrines or policies, but they still are faithful and they need a place to be able to meet with others who might be like-minded. That's kind of how I, you know, an open place maybe to discuss is kind of how I see it. But yeah, look at these, like I said, Steve Young, who was, oh, Governor Cox. Governor that was Cox. interesting. Yeah. Were you there for his, his speech? Oh, yeah. I, you know, I'm from California originally, and I didn't know who Governor Cox was, but I can tell you, uh, Tony Robbins has got some competition because 
Governor Cox is a very dynamic speaker. He's he's got a natural gift for bringing the crowd alive, getting the crowd to come alive. Um, he was very clearly TBM, and his message was very TBM. But the whole conference uh, kicked off with this guy, who I, I wasn't familiar with, Thomas Worthland McConkey. Thomas McConkey. I got his book. McConkey, yeah. And he came out. Uh, Bruce R. McConkey, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, he's, yeah. I think, uh, I don't know, a grandson. A grandson, maybe a grandson, yeah. I think he is a grandson, yeah. Yeah. And he came out and did kind of a, and I don't mean this disrespectfully, but he did kind of a pseudo uh, Buddhist thing with, uh, you know, I guess he spent some time in India. He was all kind of the rage. A lot of the people were talking about, you know, him. I guess he's very, very popular in these circles. Um, but he did kind of a, a breathing exercise and some chimes with some Buddhist bells. And um, it reminded me of my time in India. I mean, it, it, it didn't really have any mention of Mormonism whatsoever, but it was more Buddhist. So, you know, frankly, on a positive side, on a constructive side, I think it was kind of cool to see these members of the church, which really, you know, I think a, a critical view might be that they're not getting the nutritional value they want out of the regular, you know, week to week mm -hmm. church. They were expanding their minds and whether they realized it or not, uh, kind of expanded it into elements of Buddhism, which I thought was cool. Yeah, no, I think you're exactly spot on with that. And and I know that he had left the church when he was a, a teenager and then returned as an adult. And he had, you know, mindfulness, I think, is one of the things that he introduced um, to LDS people. I don't think, like you said, a lot of them knew. He ran meditations and things like that. I know my husband had attended some of those maybe like five, six years ago when that kind of idea was just starting. And like you said, very new to LDS people to have that mind expanding. Wow, there's other things and I can feel other ways. So, so he was the lead speaker and he kind of set everything off and did some exercises like that. So, and then I noticed that Patrick Mason also spoke. So that, that always kind of tells you kind of what it's going to be like, you know, because he definitely very faithful, but trying to perhaps be more nuanced, you know, those kind of points of view. Yeah. So he was there. So did you attend his? Yeah, yeah. Patrick Mason, I'm a quasi fan of his, um, still kind of learning about him, but I like the fact that he does. Uh, you know, he's just on John's, you know, John DeLynn's uh, podcast, yeah. which I listened to. And it was really, really, uh, I thought it was very good. And so I kind of, you know, I don't, uh, you know, particularly agree with everything, but I think his way of thinking, his way of of addressing issues is admirable. And uh, I, I actually, he was the second day, if I remember right, but, but I liked his uh, presentation. Um, it was similar to the message he gave on John's podcast. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. I don't know if you're aware that there was a big uh, youth sort of a rally, kind of several weekends of events. And there was one in Salt Lake City that was much like this. One Republic sang. And it was at the Delta Center, absolutely packed. I, My husband and I ended up somehow out there at the same time trying to ride the train back to Utah County with thousands of youth, you know, and we asked them kind of about, you know, reporter on the ground, what was this all about? And they described kind of what you said, a very Christian kind of a gathering with music and some scriptures all about Jesus, nothing about Mormonism, you know, Mormons said nothing from Nephi, nothing, you know, from Moroni, all about Jesus, you know, lighted phones, praising. Some of the youth we noticed were wearing crosses or Christian jewelry. I mean, it is so interesting for people of a certain age, like our age, 
who were raised with a very different Mormonism to see this is just so natural, you know, so, I mean, so natural to wear the cross and all of that. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it, it was um, it was kind of a smorgasbord, you know, thing, because you walk in, as I said, it's evangelical megachurch Christianity. Then you got uh, Thomas McConkie coming on with Buddhism, had nothing to do with Christianity. And then, so, you know, the morning that morning, Governor Cox gets on and he's uh, like I say, Tony Robbins. But then he started talking about Mormonism, for, as I recall this from memory. For the very first time. So you're well into the conference before you have any hint of Mormonism coming up. Um, so you're kind of bouncing around, for lack of a better word, to all kinds of dimensions, which I find very interesting. Um, and you never knew there were, as you can see with this slide, there were a lot of speakers. I frankly lost track of it because it was kind of sensory overload. But you never knew what direction you're going to go. All the prayers that they were offered, by the way, there are periodic prayers. Uh, I don't think any one of them were Mormon. They were there were rabbis. There was, uh, let me see, I think there was an Islam guy. There was a female pastor, uh, Protestant pastor. Uh, so the prayers were actually being offered by people of various faith traditions, which, again, I thought was very cool. Yeah, that is very cool. But then I can't help but think, and I know you're thinking this too, Landon, that we just heard at General Conference, you know, don't counsel with, or perhaps you could take that as listen to people who do not believe as you do. So, again, that's very interesting. And I wonder if the people that attend this, you know, they're not really going to be on board with that kind of a statement. They really do want to expand their mind with different things. But I, I don't know. Did you get the sense that people were feeling like, should I be here? Or was everyone just like, oh, my gosh, I'm so relieved I'm here. I mean, what was the what was the tone? The tone were, was very, very positive. I mean, there was an excitement. People were very happy to be there. I mean, you could interpret that all kinds of ways. But clearly, they weren't buying off on Russell Nelson's last you know, a general conference address where he says, you know, uh, don't trust um, non-believers. I right. think that was out the door with this crowd. They were they were very much engaging with all kinds of faith traditions um, and secular traditions as well. So it was, like I say, it was a smorgasbord and everything was on the menu. Wow. I, I see that uh, Jennifer Finlayson Fife was a speaker. So that means they talked about <laughs> what was that, Larry? Did you say? I, I've never been to a Mormon thing where they talk about. <laughs> Unless it's to tell you not to masturbate. I mean, that's pretty clear. They say that all the that time. Or watch go? porn. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They talked about sex. Um, Steve Young talked about love. I, I don't know Steve Young. We've had some mutual friends in the past, but the word love is not what I would naturally associate with him. But, you know, it was uh, it was very interesting to hear all these various dimensions. And um, it was anything but but a standard BYU education week kind of format. Uh, very different than that. Wow, that is it's well, just you, so fascinating. You, it makes me want to go, have gone. <laughs> yeah, you also have Fiona and Terrell Givens oh. uh, there. And uh, and I see uh, Tom Christofferson uh you know, for the L LBGT uh, Q plus people, uh, it it just th this is this is not your daddy's church, uh. <laughs> right? right. Yeah, well, uh, 
Terrell and Fiona, I, I have never met them, and I don't. Uh, I I got family members that they're all the rage. They're they're big fans of them. I and this is probably a reflection on my low IQ or something. I did not get their messages. Quite honestly, it sounded kind of like um, a cross between Jordan Peterson and Eckhart Tolle, um, and I I didn't get it. Uh, perhaps I need to listen to it again and slow the speed down. But um, then after you just mentioned uh, Terrell and Fiona, who was that you mentioned after that? Tom Christofferson. And Tom Christofferson. Oh, yeah. yeah. He was interesting. Um, they never, and by the way, this is a theme through the whole thing. They never engage with, with actual big questions. In fact, they never really engage. They mentioned Jesus a lot. There was a lot of Jesus talk and very, very little Joseph Smith talk. I, in fact, from memory, I can only remember one speak, speaker even bringing up Joseph Smith at all. But <clears throat> when they did talk about Jesus or they did talk about any topic, they didn't really engage the tough questions at all. It was more kind of a, a facade of talking about, oh, there are questions. Oh, there are messy issues. Uh, oh, there are doubts but never talking about what those doubts are, what those questions are, what, frankly, that irrefutable evidence is uh, that's that's detrimental. None of that was ever actually engaged. And so when Tom Christofferson's talking about gay issues, and by the way, I'm LGBT affirming in the church I attend, most of the times is, is as well. Um, <clears throat> they never talked about, dude, are you going to be a celibate your whole life? I mean, they never really address those tough questions. Wow. So it was more big picture, it sounds like, in that way. And I think it's it's very smart just to acknowledge to everybody, we know you're here because there are questions. Now let's move on, right? Now we're going to talk about some other things that just make you feel good. You'll probably walk away and go, none of my questions were really answered, but I feel really good. And I and the, and the posts and things I saw on Facebook, people said, I was so happy to find community. Like, it sounds like they really connected with each other. I think groups are set up now. People will start engaging. And to me, that's really interesting too, because who knows what's going to come out of that. Um, Go to the, I think is it our last slide? We only just pulled a few slides. I, just before we go to the oh. next slide, can I ask one more? more question. I noticed that who is missing here, uh, you know, you talked about uh, Alan and Katie Mount mm -hmm. uh, and that they were there podcasting. That Were they not invited to speak or uh, that would certainly you would think that uh, they're kind of the leaders on mixed faith marriage and that that would be an important aspect of this conference. Uh, so I, I noticed that a lot of the people who you might consider post-Mormon don't seem to be invited or in, represented in here. They did not speak. Uh, Alan and Katie Mount were there. They were both there. They had a booth set up in the back, uh, which I think is a positive thing, but I think they would be great speakers. I'm big fans of both of them. Yeah, they are awesome. So yeah, this is, this is what I was so curious about. You know, was this a, a big issue there? Did they talk about this a lot? Because this does seem to be a, sort of a dividing point. It seems like certain progressive Mormons, this is really an issue that they want to delve into and know more about it. And it means a lot to them. And others are like, no, we're just not going to touch that. They've told us not really to touch it. So was this a big part of it? I wondered. Yeah, there was a, se a section, uh, it, I think it was the second day where Mother in Heaven was, was kind of all the rage. It was a big talking point. They brought up the gospel topic essays, which a lot of members don't even know about, frankly, in my experience. <laughs> But um, 
but they brought that essay up as kind of a way to validate the fact that, hey, this is doctrine and we can talk about it. But again, they're not addressing the hard issue here because the sticker that I took a picture of here, Heavenly Mother Matters, um, first of all, from a Christian perspective, this is all very, let's just say unusual. Yeah. But if we're really gonna look at this issue within Mormonism, uh, the question is, where's the S? It's Heavenly Mother's <laughs> Matter. I mean, if we take, you know, Joseph Smith's uh, polygamy to its natural uh, ends, we're talking about uh, gods having goddesses. It comes out of Greek mythology, frankly, out of Dartmouth. You know, that's a yep. whole different episode. Yep. But, but they never again address this very uncomfortable topic of eternal polygamy. Um, that was off the table. But Mother in Heaven singular was yeah that fits right in with what you said there are questions we're not going to deal with those we're going to do the feel-good stuff mother in heaven sounds amazing did people pray um to mother in heaven or to heavenly how were the prayers addressed because that's a big difference i see between the more progressive and more mainstream mormons yeah great question rebecca yeah again all the all the prayers were from non-mormons they were from oh, catholic okay. priests okay. and others and they're not about to pray to mother in heaven so that didn't happen <laughs> I, the first and only sunstone symposium i went to then this was decades ago until i actually spoke at the last one um a woman got up and prayed to mother in heaven and I, my head exploded i didn't know i didn't know what to do i mean i was a tbm at the time um, but this was kind of a continuation of that theme, which I think I, I like the fact I'm a, I'm a big believer in full disclosure and uh, I'm not a big believer in undue influence. I think you, you people should know full stop what they're getting into if they choose to join or stay active in the church. So I like that. I like the disclosure here. Um, it, but it's, it's simply, it's, you know, frankly, it's not my belief. But I like the fact that they're being honest about it, at least in part. But really, it's not fully uh, honest in terms of what that doctrine really looks like in the in the Mormon mind in the eternities. Because that's very problematic if you really get into it. Landon and I, we're going through each gospel topic essay with the Backyard Professor. And for Mother's Day, we did hit the Mother in Heaven one. And boy, it's very light. It's very general. You know, it'll be fine. Like five paragraphs. <laughs> yeah, no, there's nothing to it because if they even remotely start scratching the service, they'll very quickly realize what you just said. It's obviously mothers and that's extraordinarily you know, problematic, especially as women try to be more empowered in these progressive groups. Now, I had heard that there were prayer circles. I think when we talked, you hadn't seen those, but that would be very interesting, you know, because I've been to, I've been to Joel Osteen's church, right? The mega church in Houston. And that's exactly what happened there. Partway through the meeting, they said, if you need prayer, please come forward. We have prayer leaders. They gather around you and pray. And as I understand it, there were uh, prayer leaders that were helping people. So, so again, it just is so different from what you would find at church. And and my question, I just kept trying to picture all these people that had this incredible experience because like I said, I read social media and people were just raving. Like it was life-changing for them. And it ended Saturday. And then I picture them going to their wards on Sunday. What do you think that was like? I know it's pure <laughs> speculation, but I just I just keep picturing it's kind of like nah 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 nah. You know, it's not. <laughs> it's not what they got there. I mean, what are your thoughts on that? <laughs> well, I can only guess. I think the the a little more cynical, critical side would say they might go back to church and say, "Oh my gosh, yesterday was so much fun, yeah. and this is you know kind of correlated." 
Um, I think a more constructive view of that would be, hey, I, I'm glad that I'm in this uh, faith that has uh, the one true church and uh, all of this, but that also offers these other dimensions that I can get involved with. You know, frankly, I, I'm sure there was a mix. It was mixed bag, yeah. bags uh, of thought in that category. Yeah, we, I'm sure. We, we recently looked at some groups uh, like... Uh, uh, scripture central and whatnot and and that in in their uh mission statement it basically said we can do what the church can't do uh we can and they basically went on to say you know that we can we can say things that they can't to, to help people's faith did you get the feeling that this was in any way one of those groups that the church was saying well let's see how this goes yeah. over and if there's anything that we can pull into ours but it's not us let them do yeah. the dangerous work while we evaluate. Uh, or did you feel that this was a rogue group? Because this yeah. is not Mormonism. Uh -uh. <laughs> what we saw here is not Mormonism. So what was the end state or what's the purpose of this group or this gathering? I, I My guess, and that's all it is, is that the church does watch this kind of stuff. And I would bet a big steak dinner that the church had its representatives which some people might call spies there to watch what was going on. And my sense is that they stayed on the track enough that they're not going to run into trouble. Uh, they didn't have any kind of evil apostates, you know, up spouting anything anti-Mormon. On the other hand, they weren't really delivering the meat. You know, it's kind of like the old, uh, uh, Wendy's commercials, where's the beef? Where's these conversations <laughs> on the tough issues? So it was kind of superficial, um, you know, quite honestly, on some areas. On the other hand, it was very loyal to the church. Um, and they they kind of played both sides carefully. And you could see that in the engineering of the whole thing, where they stayed uh, enough mainstream that they weren't going to run afoul of the church. Yeah, I was looking at that, too. I was going to ask you that. That was my question, too, Landon. Just, was there anything there that you saw was so radical that the church would have to say, huh, this is this is crossing the line? And in that case, if you had to censure anyone or discipline, then that would cause a big problem, because I also see this as a big kind of cult of personality. You know, people love these speakers. They follow them. You know, they love the founders. And were they to end up somehow on the wrong side of the church, I think people would be very disappointed because they look at them as people that, look, you can do this. You can have progressive views. You can be more nuanced. You can still be faithful. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I think the church is watching. And so far, it sounds like they haven't done anything that somebody would say that's completely not correct, unless you're an older Mormon. Like if my parents were to somehow in their 80s, you know, walk into that conference, see a Heavenly Mother Matters sticker and see people doing this wearing a cross, they would probably pass out because <laughs> yeah. they're still living in the 80s church. So there's yeah. that thought. The, the most edgy thing I heard the whole conference, and again, I, you know, some, some, there were so many speakers. Sometimes I went back and visited with Alan Mountain in the back and, and ate candy out of his bowl on, at his booth. Ah, but, there you go. But I will tell you, the most edgy thing I heard the whole conference was one of the speakers, and, and forgive me, I don't recall her name. I think she was a, a coach, a life coach of some kind. But she said, you know, there is evidence and I couldn't believe it, but I think this is a pretty close paraphrase, if not uh, almost a, a direct quote. She said, there is evidence 
that the church is not true, and there is evidence that the church is true. And then she went on with her point. And I thought, that's a pretty amazing quote to actually, at least that fragment of her statement, to admit there's evidence that the church is not true. And then she, of course, said, then there's evidence that it is, and we've got to use our intellect. And, you know, it's kind of a cost. I'm an economist, so it's kind of a cost benefits thing. I think the message that she was conveying was that the benefits outweigh the costs. Um, and that was the most edgy, coming close to the tough issues as possible. Again, no big issue was actually ever discussed for two days. Oh, but you felt good anyway, right? You, <laughs> you I felt good. feeling amazing. <laughs> yeah, everybody felt amazing. And so do you think then, I mean, it's going to help somebody that has questions, that's nuanced, that's maybe a little feels disaffected in their ward, but then they can find out, no, there are people that are like me and we can talk about these issues or talk around the issues at least a little bit. So you kind of feel like you're dealing with them and then you can go back and still be in your ward. And as long as everything just kind of stays okay, you're going to be okay. That's kind of how I look at it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get what you're saying. Uh, I, I go, I'm going to answer that question by going to Thomas Worthlin McConkie's book. Cause I, I got it. And I'm always kind of, well, Rebecca, you know, I'm, I'm weird. And I, I'm very curious. In the best way. <laughs> in the best way. Thank you. But no, I'm very curious and I'm I'm very interested in how people are kind of working and engineering their workarounds around the difficult issues of Mormonism. And Thomas quote, uh, McConkie says this, and it's just one sentence. He says, for some, leaving the church is tempting, but would ultimately be gut-wrenching. Too much for our identity, for, for too much of our identity belongs to it, and we feel called to find a way to make it work. So a lot of the people there, I my sense was, based on, upon the messages being liber, delivered, was we're going to find a way to make it work. Hell or high water, uh, evidence or no evidence, tough issues or not, we're going to make it work. And that was, that was, uh, that was kind of the, if you're going to pick one theme, at least in my mind, that seemed to be it. Hmm. We're going to make the best of it. Yeah. <laughs> and we're going to do it together. And we're going to have community. And and so there's nothing wrong with that. I think that's great. So I don't yeah. know, Landon and I were um, kind of talking about um, the bigger picture of these different groups, weren't we, Landon, inside the church. So we've been doing a lot of podcasting about the more seem to be rising fundamentalist groups in the church. You know what I mean? The more apocalyptic, the more doomsday, that kind of thing. That seems to be something that's kind of reared its head and come to the forefront. And then you have this, which seems to be the exact opposite. We're staying in, we're progressive. We have these more lighter ideas. The other group has these, oh no, deep doctrine ideas, right? So I mean, who's left in the middle? Is Are there any mainstream Mormons anymore even? Or is everybody gravitating to the side? And then what does that mean for the, the church leadership? How do they even address Mormons when you can say, I'm a Mormon, and that means you've gone to this conference and you have a Mother in Heaven sticker? Or you can say, I'm a Mormon, and that means you've kidnapped your child who is the Davidic servant. <laughs> Except you can't say you're Mormon anymore. You oh, can't. I'm sorry. I know. I, I, You know what? I am a Mormon because I was raised a Mormon five decades. I can't call myself a Mormon. But you see what I'm trying to say? There's just this shift, I think, to two different sides. It's Who's like left politics. In the it, yeah, like politics. Everything. It's like religion yep. is just following the politics. You're seeing mm -hmm. everyone take sides and go yep. into the extremes. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of uh, polarization 
-hmm. extreme dogma on both sides. The group that was there seemed to be, you know, it was kind of the, the trendy hip crowd. You know, you'd see the women with the rip in their jeans. Uh, they were kind of, you know, they're kind of cool and they're kind of opened up to, you know, Buddhism and, and elements of Protestant Christianity and all, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Um, what what do you make out of it? I, yeah, I don't know. It's, but I would agree it's very foreign to the Mormonism I grew up with. There's mm -hmm. no question of that. The cross, you know, was just, you know, absolutely horrific. I mean, that's what Ozzy Osbourne did, who, by the way, is a Christian, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, it was, uh, it was really kind of, I'm still processing it because it was so, so all over the place. I, I do want to make sure I get one thing in, though, that was the highlight of the whole, whole event. And on this one speaker, it was worth the price of admission and 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 sitting through everything else. And and, and frankly, I'm not complaining. It was all very entertaining to me in, in my own special way of looking things. But a speaker got up. Her name was Lisa Miller. She's Jewish. She's out of Columbia, and she wrote this book called The Awakened Brain, which I got. And it's just epic because what she's done is she has um, scientifically correlated brain scans. And the healthy elements of the brain and, and areas of the brain associated with depression and suicide with spirituality. Now, she defines spirituality uh, probably broader than this conference, you know, in terms of it can be nature walks, it can be spiritual, but not religious, it can be religious, any kind of what might be considered healthy spiritual dimension. And there's an inverse correlation with depression and suicide, which I think we can all agree are things we want to tackle as a human race. And tamed down. But this is Ivy League uh, science showing uh, the research into the benefits of spirituality. So I got to just say to the organize, organizers of, of Faith Matters, you know, uh, big kudos for getting somebody of this caliber up and speak uh, to speak, because frankly, in my my opinion, she blew the doors off everyone else. She was really, really terrific. So that was very, very positive. I'm 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 very happy about this because I see that as an uh, as an option place for people to go that aren't all buying in, but I can't figure out how this works. <laughs> I I don't see how you can have these progressive views and and tout that in one meeting while the brethren are up there denouncing those very things that you're out there trying to uh, progress. So although I'm happy to see it and I good luck to them. I. I hope they can knock it down. I hope they can make church meetings more exciting for those who have to attend. I just don't see how it works. Uh, any yeah. insight? <laughs> no, I, I get your I get your point, Landon, big time, because it's kind of like they're trying to take this uh, round peg and put it in a square hole. And it's, you know, let's be honest. It, you know, I think a more critical view might be it, it's just a very awkward fit. Because what they're talking about, while it might be very energizing and exciting for a big segment of the church population, it just doesn't square very well with what the Q15 are saying. Although, frankly, they contradict themselves a lot, don't they? So, you know, it's, I think it's one of these things where the jury's kind of out. I think the church is probably going to watch it this with, with a, a, a dose of optimism and a, do, uh, a dosage of uh, skepticism. And, and I don't think this thing has played out yet. I think it's we're just seeing it. 
from what I can see, there's it's snowballing. It's going to get bigger. And then we're going to see if this is going to crash and burn like Paul H. Dunn, you know, who got huge, or if it's going to, you know, override the predominant narrative and culture in the church. I, I genuinely don't know. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch, though, as a spectator. <laughs> that is the bottom line there. But no, you're so correct. Because like I said, my husband's been attending this stuff from the point where it was like 30 people um, in a little, you know, a private home or a little conference center and very small meetings. And and last year, I think it was maybe a thousand or so people. I mean, snowball is an understatement. And so, you know, the church has got to be going, hmm, this is really interesting. Everybody is so interested in this. But then I also see like, oh my gosh, I was laughing last night. RFM sent me, he looked up a church building building in his town and it said church of jesus christ of latter-day saints and then it said christian church and it had come worship with us i mean it was just this christian verbiage associated with it when you looked it up on google and then when you clicked on it and went in and i've never done this before on the church's site they have a whole new re revamped thing about sunday service it's called worship service it says come to communion with us or sacrament you know it's in quotes it has pictures that look nothing like an lds church it looks like just a regular christian congregation congregation. What were some of the other things, Landon? We were looking at this, perusing it. It was come worship with our Christian community. Again, things that I'm telling you, if I showed to my parents, they would have a heart attack, you know? Yeah, so I, I talked to a lady today who uh, her nie niece is on a mission mm -hmm. and she was telling me, I'm a little confused because she keeps referring to our King and the King yeah. uh, when she talked about Jesus. And, yeah. you know, that's certainly not you know, LDS parlance for Jesus. We know that's a name for him, but we don't refer to him that way. So, uh, and and I know, Rebecca, you've had instances with uh, with missionaries uh, using the Christian crosses mm -hmm. and whatnot. Yeah, uh, Christian jewelry. Yeah. yeah. In fact, I remember uh, not even really being able to use the word Jesus. We were supposed to say the Savior. When I moved into, it must have been 20 years ago here in the ward that I moved into, uh, we had an actual fifth Sunday meeting about not being familiar and saying Jesus. That was too familiar, like your friend. That's not who he is. He's our savior, our Lord. We had a whole meeting on that, very formal. So someone of my age to see what they're doing now, it just blows my mind. And I get a little frustrated sometimes when I see younger people going, oh no, it's always been that way. And I'm like, no, it has not. <laughs> you have no idea. So as I see this thing snowballing, like you're saying, and I have no doubt next year, there'll be 5,000 people tending, no doubt. I guess the church will just monitor it. They can look at it and say, okay, this is what the people want kind of. But then again, like I said, you've got this other side that is also snowballing and that's not what they want. They want to return to the orthodoxy, you know, they think our people, there've been videos recently where more LDS people have come out and said the church is in apostasy, you know, because it is becoming more progressive. So I don't know, schism, is that a word that you even thought of when you were at that conference? <laughs> yeah, I've thought of the word awkward. It's, it's, it's oil <laughs> and we're trying, they're trying to shake it up and put on the salad before it goes and separates again. And, um, I, I, I you know, I can tell you, I've been doing a lot of thinking on a different matter because I'm actually working on an episode now with John DeLynn on Heaven's Gate because I was one of my cases. I was very intimately involved with the Heaven's Gate cult. And, I, you know, a lot of people don't realize, I'll just say a little bit, a lot of people don't realize that Heaven's Gate was a Christian group. Mm -hmm. They talked about Jesus uh, endlessly and New Testament passages and the Beatitudes endlessly. 
But then they would just slide into, and Jesus said this, and then Doe says that, and T says that. Those are the two main cult leaders. So they kind of morphed into that very, you know, almost seamlessly. And so just because you use uh, crosses a lot, and, and Heaven's Gate isn't the only example, Scientology uses the cross. I think the public is pretty smart. And even though you got a cross, or even though you talk about Jesus like Heaven's Gate, or you got a cross like Scientology, once I hear that word Mormon, I mean, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, that is not going to magically go away. I, I don't know how they're going to make that water run uphill, um, but they're trying. Um, I'm personally all for Jesus. I think, uh, you know, uh, whether, you know, I know, I know atheist friends of mine that we sit around and talk about, you know, the lessons from Jesus, they're looking at it more metaphorically and that's fine, uh, because there's great messages there. So I always welcome those kind of conversations, but here, I'm sorry, it didn't strike me as, as really authentic. It's more like we've sent some people out to evangelical churches. We picked up on their processes and we're bringing a lot of that home to try and fit in, uh, you know, more. I don't know that that's going to work, though. That's my humble two cents worth. And that that was one of my. You you said they stayed on the rails. Eventually, they're going to have to address these questions mm -hmm. that they're skirting around right now. Mm -hmm. If they're going to continue to provide anything to anyone, they've got to be able to provide answers, not just point out there's problems. You have to eventually provide a solution. To those problems that you're champion and at what point are they then off the rail how far outside can they go before the church is going to say no 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 that's that's too far out off rail and 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 they're going to start you know what they always do excommunicating those mm -hmm. people that are going off the rail to let everybody else know you better come back inside the boundary uh to get back in uh, and, and that's the part that I'm trying to figure out, you know, when, when are they going to corral that back in and Where's say, the sweet spot? Yeah. What's the yeah. sweet spot and how long can you ride that sweet spot? Yeah. <laughs> I, I get your point, Landon. The, the sense that I get is that the church, like anyone's going to look at the costs and benefits, uh, benefit and costs and say, and kind of what the church is signaling is that the fact that they're allowing the missionaries to use crosses mm -hmm. to re-language things more in mainstream Christian terms and language and labeling, I think the church is going to go along with this, at least on an experimental basis, to see if this will draw people and and in and keep retention up. I know. The cynical person would say, I don't think the church cares as long as they're showing up on Sundays yeah. and paying their tithing. Yep. Uh, but a constructive uh, thing, a little more uh, friendly or charitable way of looking at it is, is uh, from a religious point of view that bringing Christ in is probably uh, never a bad thing to do. It's just that I, I've seen this game plan played by Heaven's Gate, which I was intimately familiar with. I've seen it with Scientology, which I'm a little, I'm a lot less familiar with, but I'm from LA. I, I, I know Scientologists on Hollywood Boulevard. I know their tricks of trying to pull you in and never mentioning the word Scientology until you're kind of a few layers into it. And I've seen it with uh, my, I had heart surgery as a little kid. It was a seventh day hospital. And I know how they operate with their religion where they don't get to the weird stuff until they, they really kind of pile on Jesus. You know what I mean? And uh, the difference between this conference 
And the mega church, I and again, I'm not an evangelical Christian, but I, I I do respect them. I have a lot of friends that are. Is that at this conference there wasn't a single beatitude, there wasn't a single parable discussed about Jesus, the Good Samaritan feeding those who are hungry, uh, clothing those who are naked, visiting those in prison, lifting those who are sad and depressed, and bringing them in. There was none of that talk. But just the week prior, when I attended the um, the evangelical church, that's all they talked about. They talked about the food bank, where anybody could come in and go shopping. And it didn't matter if you're atheist, agnostic, Jewish, Hindu, Buddhist, Islam. It didn't matter what you were. You could come and get food for your family. There was none of that authentic, what I would call authentic Jesus talk. It was more just platitudes and poems without any real substance that you do see in the Christian churches. So if they're trying to bring Jesus into the conversation, that's great. But take some of those hundreds of billions of dollars and start helping people that aren't in your own tribe. That's what real Christianity looks like. You you mentioned, and, and I, I wanted to just come back to this real quick. We we just mentioned, you know, how long is the church going to watch, you know, what these people are doing, what this Faith Matters group is doing. I guess we could flip that question and say, how long are the members going to watch and see what the, what the brethren are going to do? Because yeah. sitting and watching what happens is not revelation. That's not what the church is built on. That's not what we've learned, where you learn that the Lord directs the church, and it would seem that the the tail is wagging the dog. How long do the members sit and why watching the, the, the tail wag the dog before they say, what's going on here? Yeah, well said. I, I have nothing to add to that because you said it so well. Um, <laughs> who's who's really directing who and who are the real prophets and seers and revelators who are really setting the tone? Because, you know, Sam Young, <clears throat> as this chat with him this, this morning, S Sam Young was the real prophet in terms of seeing a little bit of movement on this whole nonsense of, of these, uh, uh, you know, the, the child abuse and the overt and covert child abuse going on in the church. That was Sam Young was the prophet. Um, so you wonder who's really, who's running what? Hmm. Did you um, sense any, in this conference, any calls to action, um, speaking of food bags and things like that, were they going to do projects? Were they going to do some things that their wards and church were not doing? Were they going to do anything in a humanitarian way? Is that one of their purposes? Because I, I sense that probably most progressive people feel a lack of that in their wards and in the church already, perhaps dissatisfaction. And, you know, I can see that they'd want to band together and try some. Was there anything like that, a call to action or, or a group or, you know, let's form this or let's try to help in this way? You see that, of course, like you said, in, in every mega church, evangelical church that my husband and I went to, there was always service opportunities up on the screen at the beginning of the meeting. They'd have people come up. Who wants to join me for this? Who wants to help me for this? We're going here. We're doing a mission trip. I mean, it that was all about That wasn't cleaning the church, action. right? They weren't no, it was not cleaning the church. They <laughs> They had professionals to do that. I will say that right there. And they also put all their financials up on the screen every time to show what was happening. But I just wonder if this progressive group, and maybe that's coming, you know, had any kind of calls to action or ways to serve or anything like that. That's such a the million dollar question, Rebecca. Yeah. And before I answer it, I'm going to tell you, um, a couple weeks before I attended this, I was at a community, Park City Community Church. I was talking to the pastor. And she was, I was telling her that my criteria for a church was that it was LGBT affirming. And she assured me that it most certainly was. 
And secondly, that they had transparent financials. And she goes, oh, I'll give you the website. You can go through all our financials right now. We have them audited and posted on the internet every year. And I said, well, that's great. Then I, I feel comfortable here. And I said, you know, I at my old church, I was doing the, uh, I went to Orange County Jail every every Sunday and I gave these ridiculous sermons, but the <laughs> the inmates seemed to enjoy them. And, um, and I said, are there opportunities for that? She goes, oh, we band together with a whole bunch of churches at the uh, Christian Center in, in downtown Park City, and you can donate your stuff there and food there, and there's the food bank, and there's a thrift store, and the homeless can go in shopping for free, and that's where we kind of collectively do our thing. So that's what a real Christian church looks like, by the way. But to answer your question, Sadly, and I wish I could report differently because I did enjoy Faith Restorers. I had a, I have a lot of positive things to say about it, but there was no call to action. It had the vibe of your typical Mormonism, which is frankly self-serving. I want my own planet. I want, I want exaltation. I want the celestial kingdom. And, and I want to help my family and serving others within my tribe. But in terms of people outside of my tribe, there wasn't even a hint of, of mention there. And so to really get on, on the, the boat of authentic Christianity, it's a complete brain shift that I don't know that Mormon culture is really capable of because it's so insular. In, in um, sociology, we call it an open system and a closed system. Gen, you know, Christ himself and a genuine uh, Christian church is an open system. They help anyone, whether you're a good Samaritan or a Jew or a Hindu. It doesn't matter. That's not even the point. You love your neighbor. Your neighbor might be gay. Your neighbor might be any number of things. Doesn't matter. But in the Mormon church, the home teaching, the visiting teaching, the this and the that is all helping your own tribe and oblivious to the homeless people that are right outside of the temple square gates. And, and that was, uh, frankly, from what I saw, uh, and I hope I don't sound judgmental. That was the same spirit of the messaging going on at Faith Restores. Wow. No, and I understand that because it's really hard to get out of that mode and that mindset. And and, and I, I'll tell this story again. I've told it a couple of times. It's like my dad is a wonderful, charitable person and paid probably 30% of his income to tithing and fast offering and every other fund his whole life. I have a memory of being young on Temple Square, like you just described, and we're walking around and a homeless person comes up and literally put his hand out to my dad. And my dad said, you know what? I pay my tithing. You can go over to the church for help. Well, this person couldn't go to the church for help. There was no mechanism or avenue for that, you know, but my dad didn't think that was uncharitable. And yet he literally turned away an open hand, you know, and yet he thought he was doing his part. So I know it's blinders on. And, and I feel like maybe as Faith Matters takes off and there are thousands of people more next year, eventually, you know, they're going to have this idea and they're going to go look at our numbers. Look what we could do. I feel like that's in the future for them. What do you guys think? Boy, that's, a powerful example. that's a <laughs> powerful hope. metaphor, Rebecca, mm -hmm. that re really is. And, and, I think anybody who have attended general conference walk up the streets and walk right by, have walked by, and I'm guilty of it myself as a TBM to people with their hands out, literally cold and hungry to get on, get to hurry and get into general conference. That is, that sums up the whole thing, you know, but Christianity, at least the version that I relate to, I mean, I, I volunteer, I hate, I, well, I don't hate anything, but 
I, I, I'm not trying to toot my horn because I, I fall very short. And you're not tooting being, your horn. You're a wonderful well, person, Randy, and you're yeah, involved been, in so many wonderful things. So, and well, we'd love to hear about them. Well, thanks. I mean, in Mormonism, we have this this languaging: I'm worthy, he's worthy, she's worthy. Oh, they're not worthy. They're not worthy. You know, in Christianity, it's a whole different mindset. We're all a bunch of pigs. You know, we're all a bunch of sinners. Who are we kidding? You know, so I'm not trying to sound self-righteous or or, or virtue uh, signaling or that. But when I what I'm what the point I'm trying to make is in San Quentin Prison, which is where I have had my most spiritual experiences in my life. Uh, and it's a secular program, by the way. It's not a religious, it's not sponsored by a church. It is strictly a secular program. But there are, you get to know the other volunteers. Some of the finest volunteers that are, in my mind, someone to look up spiritually are atheists. And they are they are there because of their love for humanity. And that's you know, I, I don't care about the labels. Read, read Matthew chapter 25. That came from RFM. The, 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 you know, that all nations are gathered together and those who uh, have the heart to help uh, feed the hungry, clothe the naked, visit those in prison, those are the ones that are going to be welcomed into the church, you know, or, or into, excuse me, into heaven, if there is a heaven. And, you know, and so... I, I I think you hit the nail on the head about the tone of this conference. I hope they listen to your podcast. And by the way, congratulations, because I know your podcast is growing and growing. So kudos to you guys. But I, I hope they listen. And I, I want the church to, to succeed. I got people in my family that I love that are still in the church. So I want it to be a healthy place. And I want it to become an authentic Christian place. But it won't get there until they get off this notion. And by the way, when you start doing this stuff, you don't wear a T-shirt, Helping Hands T-shirt, to, <laughs> to, to broadcast and advertise that you're promoting the church. You go with whatever you're wearing. <laughs> and by the way, in a Christian church, I wear my shorts and jeans. You know, And, and frankly, Faith Restore had a lot of shorts and jeans. So that was cool. But they're not there yet. I, th I see progress, but... The they're not quite getting the vision, but I love the fact that they're opening up their minds beyond the correlated nonsense yep. and they're getting closer. That I applaud. Yep. I, I back that. Uh, I, I, I do applaud too. that as well. Yep. <laughs> that's right. Baby steps, but they're steps, you know, and that's, that is amazing. And I, I feel like if they do grow and they get all these ideas, then, then I think, you know, the church takes notice and goes, wow, look at this. There are 10,000 people attending this. But like you said, Randy, as long as they're still attending the ward, they're still counted on the roll and they're still paying their tithing. There's no problem there. Whatever you have to do to allow yourselves to stay in. And lots of people have different coping mechanisms. And like you said, sunk cost, it's not too big of a problem, you know, until. Yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's key. Why, why does the church need to change if, if people are still showing mm -hmm. up, still paying tithing? So you've mm -hmm. got, you've got this catch 22. There's no reason to change as long as they're still they're doing their, 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 you know, filling their role in the church. Right. Why is the church going to change that, that? That's to be seen. Will it take people exiting to make the change or will they be able to change by staying in? Yeah. But Landon, you just hit it. You just hit it. Are they exiting 80? I, I mean, if you go through the numbers and we don't really know the numbers, cause like a lot of things, the church conceals them, but I, I know some, um, 
some people that were employees of the church, and they gave me some of the actual numbers and retention and everything else. There's not even close to a million uh, um, temple uh, recommends issued. And it looks from all the triangulation I can do, and I'm not a statistician, there's about an 80% of all Mormons have left Mormonism. Only 20% are remaining. You know, if you look at the fact that there's about 30,000 congregations around the world, and on average, 100 people attending each one on average around the world. And I was just in Guam and Saipan, you got 50, 75 people showing up. Um, so 100, that, that's a 3 million uh, member, uh, you know, uh, activity rate out over, do the math over 17. You're looking at around 20% of activity rate. So if they want to hang on to that 20% and actually make it grow, because let's face it, the church is imploding statistically. That's the reality. That's the harsh reality. They're going to have to change their game because what they're doing is frankly not successful. And frankly, I wouldn't care, but for the fact that I got people I love and family members and friends that are in it. So I don't want them to be in an unhealthy system. I want them to be in a healthy system. But those are the statistical realities that the church is dealing with, and they've already lost 80%. Are they going to lose more of the remaining 20%? I don't know, um, but we'll see. We'll see. I think there's a point where, you know, you can you can act like a Christian church, you can change a lot of things cosmetically, but then there are some things within the doctrine that just doesn't line up, and eventually, you know, people butt up against that. So it just makes you wonder how far... Would they be willing to change or be willing to go, you know, to retain members or to gain new members? Because there are certain, you know, there's a hard line, certain places that you're not going to change. I mean, I have a story from, I'll tell it very vaguely, but from the mission field uh, where someone had joined the church and now um, elders convert someone and then new elders as they come in continue to fellowship the person because the ward isn't you know, doing it so much. Probably when you guys were on your missions, you just dropped all contact. But now missionaries continue to fellowship. So on the mission, in the mission field, new missionaries come in and start fellowshipping this already baptized person and just teaching more. And they're talking to this person and they're talking about living prophets. And the person says, what do you mean a living prophet? And they say, well, our church is directed by a living prophet. And the person said, well, no, that's only in the scriptures. You named some of the prophets, you know. And the missionary said, well, no, no, it is in the scriptures, but also in our church, we follow the direction of our living prophet. And the person said, well, that's not right at all. <laughs> and these new missionaries are like shocked because this is a baptized person who they're just kind of picking up after the last set of elders. And as they continued talking, the person finally said, did I join the Mormons? <laughs> yeah. So that's what I'm saying. There's a point where you can say worship service and you can say, you know, come meet the pastor and you can say communion or sacrament, but there are certain things where we're very different from others, you know? And so I don't know, I don't know how many big changes they'd be willing to make, but there are certain things I think that are non-negotiable. And then when that happens, eventually, then maybe that schism word. I don't know. It's interesting to watch, like you said. <laughs> ah, that's fascinating. Yeah. You know, the thing is, you know, a lot of us, uh, and in the past, myself included, have been really down on the Catholic Church because of all the child molestation and everything else. And and really, you know, and in Mormonism, let's face it, we're taught from, uh, you know, since we're this big, 
that all other churches are wrong, all their creeds are an abomination, all their professors are corrupt. There's all, all, all. You can't get more absolute, 100%, you know, certain than that. So certainly that would include the, our Catholic friends. And, and yet I'll tell you what the Catholics got that we don't have in the Mormon church. In fact, there's two things. One is Pope John Paul II apologized. We don't apologize. The church can never move forward without actual apologies because let's talk, let's face the music. There's some real train wrecks from the past that need, you know, big apologies. The race issue, the LGBT issue, the uh, Joseph Smith's hidden polygamy and hiding it for 170 years. These all need to be apologized. Mountain Meadows. <laughs> Mountain Meadows. Mountain Meadows, that's a big one too. It's a long yeah. list. Yeah. <laughs> Our time is limited. The other thing, <laughs> the other thing is if you do the math, and I've done it on a per capita basis with the settlement dollars, the Mormon Church is offered two hundred fifty million dollars to settle the boys-related child abuse, just with the overlap with the Boy Scouts. Two hundred fifty million dollars. I work in the courtroom a lot. Two hundred fifty million dollars as a settlement amount is gigantic. And you look at the billion dollars, and by the way, the, the attorney that actually prosecuted the case is a client of mine, and I've talked to him about this in his boardroom. If you do the math of the, of the grand total $4 billion out of the Catholic Church and do the ratios with the fact that Catholics have over a billion members, and we got, if you count 110-year-old uh, 110 uh, dead people, uh, we got 17 million members. You do the math per capita, the Mormon church is more dangerous than the Catholic church, okay? And people don't realize that. So they got to clean up their act there as well. So when they start apologizing and face the music on their statistics, there can be some progress. But until then, you got your feet stuck in cement and you're not going to be going uh, much of anywhere. Wow, those are really powerful thoughts. And I would think like a group like, you know, Faith Matters Restored, they probably are aware of some of those things. And maybe that's why they're going to restore. And so, you know, they may feel empowered eventually to, I don't know, safety in numbers, maybe start encouraging things to change from the inside. Because I know everybody thinks they can do that. You can't do it one by one. That never happens. You just get swallowed up. But larger groups, the church does listen when they see, you know, large groups of people that say we, we need to work on this. So yeah, I don't yeah. know. Yep. It's very it's, interesting. It, you know, people ask you, why, why do you leave the church and you can't leave it alone? Well, there's a lot of reasons, but one is that it's entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> okay, yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> there's other reasons too, but it's going to be fascinating to watch because this has not played out yet. Oh. And, and, uh, for no other reason, it's going to be entertaining to see how it does play out. I agree. Will you go next year? That should be our final question. Will you, Randy, <laughs> attend next year, do you think? <laughs> if I'm in Utah, I probably will. I, I Like I said, you know, I came across uh, Lisa Miller's book. I just yeah. finished it. I'm probably going to read it again. There, there were big positives. Uh, this is my tribe. This is my culture. Yeah. And, and uh, the, my final answer to your final question is, you know, the, the way brain neurology works is that when you grow up with a with a belief system, a, a, a tightly held belief system, and certainly I did in the Mormon church, going on a mission and everything else, it takes 20, at least 27 exposures to new thinking to rewire the brain's neurology. So the reason why your podcast is so successful and John DeLynn's and RFM's and Bill Reels 
and Jonathan Streeter and Nuance Ho, all of these are so, are so, there's such a consumption uh, of these things is because what people are really doing is they're, we're rewiring our brain neurology to new healthy ways of thinking. And so I just want to say thanks for having me on and help. Uh, thanks for helping us all kind of rewire a little bit of our neurology. <laughs> to something yeah. a little more healthy. <laughs> Maybe that should be our new tagline, right? And more minutes podcast, helping rewire your neurology, <laughs> one podcast at a time. I love it. That might be it. So, oh no, we've just loved talking to you, Randy. And our conversations always go in such, you know, interesting directions. We start one place and then we end up another, but I think it's amazing um, in between. Is there anything that you're working on or anything that you want to tell everybody about? I know you said John DeLynn. When is that happening? Just in the works or... Well, I don't think John would mention mind if I mention this. We filmed this episode on Heaven's Gate, oh. and then we went out to lunch. I said, John, I don't know that that I think I could have done a better job. Um, so we're going to redo it. Uh, so that's coming out, and I have a book in the works. This top secret, the word Mormon is not in it, but I guarantee it. Uh, it's going to shake some things up. And what else am I up to? I'm up to a lot of things that have nothing to do with any of this. Yeah. But I think uh, I'm still kind of wandering from church to church. And Sam Young and I were just in in uh, India going to Hindu temples and Muslim or uh, well, we did Muslim stuff in uh, Istanbul. And then we went to uh, Hindu Buddhist stuff. So I just love exploring this stuff. Um, th that's all it is, is just curiosity and, and, uh, I know you guys are curious and always learning and always eager to engage in new conversations. That's what it's all kind of about. That's it. That's exactly right. Any more final questions, Landon? Or do you think we've covered everything? This no, has been I, amazing. Thank you for coming on, yeah. Randy. It was really interesting. Yeah. That was a great conversation. Enjoyed it. Yeah. Anytime. And, Love you guys. Yeah. And we have, we do have another big one in the works with Randy. That's going to be really interesting oh, yeah. that we have not talked i mean i don't think this topic has ever been covered and you know we all have different things going on but we keep like coming back together going oh yeah we got to do this so we yeah. are committing now here in front of our audience that we will put this together because you guys are going to love this i'm serious so yeah in it's the future, new stuff yep. it's brand new stuff i love good it good stuff yeah brand new good stuff so all right everybody well please comment let us know what you thought did you attend faith matters restore maybe you did or maybe you have family members that did or just what are your thoughts on it um because we honestly are curious and would like to learn more of course about this what I kind of look at as a revolution almost, you know, in Mormonism in a different way to Mormon maybe. So uh, please like and subscribe. And if you'd like to be made aware of when new episodes come out, you can hit that um, notification bell. And if you would like to donate to Mormonish Podcasts, we have links in the show notes to PayPal and to Venmo if you'd like to support the channel financially. And other than that, we just appreciate all of you so much. And we'll say goodbye again for this time from Mormonish. Thanks. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Mormonish. We really appreciate our listeners and would love to hear from you if you have a story you'd like to share. You can email us at mormonishpodcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and on our website, mormonishpodcast.org. And don't forget to look for us on YouTube and like and subscribe. Keep joyful, everybody.